Chapter Number Twenty One of the Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter Twenty One. Paul Unchaining the Truth. I fully approve of your plans, Mister Thornton," said the aged father that evening, "and I will cheerfully enter into any arrangement you suggest." While I am wholly ignorant of your teachings, I am willing to learn. From what our daughter tells us, you have miraculous power. Thornton, the man has no power, but Thornton, the I am, has power unlimited. He interrupted. I understand," said he. Now, as to the reproducing of their old queen at a favorable time, such as you suggest, I believe your plans are the best that can be devised. Then we will begin work at once. In the meantime, it is important that your daughter be kept out of sight. I will see to that. Now, Mister Thornton, are you sure you fully understand the characteristics of our people? And did you get a satisfactory description of the city and its environments from my brief explanation? Perfectly. I will leave you on the morrow. And for a time, I and your household are strangers. I understand," replied the father. "This is a happy day for us, Mister Thornton, and we all worship you. Let me interrupt you, father. I do not believe in worshiping anyone, and above all, I do not want to be an idol. I did nothing worth mentioning as a mortal man. Yes, yes," said he. "Strange, strange. I am really anxious to know more of your doctrines. I am glad you are interested. There is only one God, and beside Him there is no other. God is all power as well as all space. Hence, there is no room for a devil. God made all things and said they were good. So, if there is sin, sickness, or death, they must be good. God is love. Do you think for a moment that he made men and women and children and placed them here to suffer? God is power. If he is infinite, then he dwells within me, and I am. And the recognition of this truth is all that is required to do those things that are necessary for our good. But you admit the presence of sin and sickness. There is no sin or sickness, as you would know if you were born of the Spirit. You told me an hour ago you were suffering with a raging headache. Your mortal mind was the recipient of a telegram announcing the coming of a headache, and you had confidence in the message and fully believed the raging ache was headed your way. Mortal thought hastened it on, but it was fake. I told you it was a delusion and a snare, that one could likewise bring about all the ills to which mortal bodies are heir by nonsensical thoughts, and that you had merely to deny the existence of such bugaboos in the true way, the only way. When it would hide itself and wither away into the nothingness that it is, I gave you ample proof of this and demonstrated to you that all things are possible with God, and your raging ache took a header into oblivion. I frankly acknowledge the truth in all you say, but how is one to be so divinely constituted as to believe in the nothingness and myth of a severe pain? He asked. Acknowledge only God and dispute the presence of evil. Put such nonsense behind you, trample it under your feet, drive such thoughts out of you, and let truth, God, reign in and through you. This is not what is called willpower. All so-called human wills tend toward the one central willpower. Therefore, the best thing to do is to get into the vibrations of the spirit and be still, and let God govern you and your little kingdom, your body. I do not mean some two-legged god up in the heavens, but your own I am, the spirit within yourself. The only god who can help you is your own spirit, 
The only kingdom of heaven, for you, is the kingdom within yourself. But there is to be no influence by mesmerism, hypnotism, nor any other isms or magnetic currents coming to you from the outside. You must be governed by your own conscience or spirit, from within your own tabernacle, body, and the silent words spoken to your own spirit is all that is required. There is but one will, and he controls the sun and all the systems, as well as all thoughts and actions. And there is but one great and good man, my preserver and my guide. The sun may shine for all men, and the moon may shed its faint smiles for many, and the stars may twinkle for millions, but among men there is to me but one grand and glorious representation of the race, and that is my guardian angel and benefactor, who is to preach peace and happiness to the subjects of this little kingdom, and to banish from its portals the devil and all his hosts, sang Gladsome Olivet, tripping in, followed by her mother, who added, So say we all. I used to think that compliments from high places were the sweetest music in the world, said Paul, rising. But for the past year or so, I have regarded such things with awe, because they are generally uttered for the mere matter of saying them, or for the express purpose of idle or vain flattery. Praise accorded me, just now, is received in the same spirit it is given. For I know, sweetheart, your heart and soul and mind are full of happiness and adulation. It is sweet to know one's friends and to feel that kindly ministrations are appreciated. But, my loved ones, Paul Thornton is deserving of no special praise. In a divine sense, there are no specialties. All men are equal in Christ. All men are one with God. He has no favorites. Each individual represents the church of the living God. There are millions of these churches, and they are builded on a rock so firmly, spiritually, that no cyclones, nor earthquakes, nor any other material powers can shake them. And they will stand the storms for endless ages. Paul was full of the word, and encouraged by his audience, he kept on until the night had far advanced. Early the next day, he caught the fast train for a whirl into the country. One peculiar thing that struck the American was the absence of conductors, but upon inquiry, he learned that the entire railway system of Appalachia was owned and operated by the government, and it was as free to everyone as the Appalachian air they breathed. At each station, Paul spent the two minutes in looking at the country, which was much the same everywhere, and at the third station he got out and mechanically followed a winding avenue which was richly perfumed with the sweet scents from the roses blooming in every direction. He had proceeded some little distance when the sound of music greeted his ears, and he continued in that direction. Arriving at a slight elevation, he saw in the distance an amphitheater filled with hundreds of people. He proceeded to within a few yards of the convocation and sat down on the grass to enjoy divine services in Appalachia. Unfortunately, the meeting closed soon after his arrival, and he was in ignorance as to the matter in which they conducted services. The congregation was much larger than he at first imagined, as hundreds had left and hundreds tarried behind. In the midst of his musings, those on the outside stopped and rushed back in great excitement, and Paul was lost in wonder. She is dying! These words were uttered by a man who was evidently running for a doctor. Paul sprang to his feet and hastened to the scene. He pushed his way through the surging crowd towards the spot that all seemed bent on reaching, and soon caught sight of a beautiful little girl, whose face was as white as a ghost, and she was gasping for breath. A woman, probably her mother, was rubbing her forehead and hands and was sobbing aloud. "'Is there no help? Must she die?' she sobbed. The minister with his long robe was standing near. 
He looked as sad as the occasion required. Knowing she was in no danger, Paul went over to him. Are you a minister? asked Paul. Presuming from your raiment I judge rightly, he continued, I would know why you stand idly by while she passes on, pointing towards the rapidly sinking girl. The people crowded nearer, and Paul's words were plainly heard by all present, and the stillness was deathly. There is nothing more to be done, sir, until the arrival of a physician. I pray he will reach here in time to save her, replied he. Yes, God speed the doctor, moaned the heartbroken mother. God is a surer physician, my dear madam, said he, advancing, taking the girl's hands and lifting her to her feet. Go your way in peace and praise God for his wonderful works for the children of men, spoke Paul, and placing the smiling girl in her mother's arms, he hurried through the crowd and escaped the throng. Who is he? was the cry on every lip. But he stopped not, hoping to make his escape. But the multitude followed and finally caught up with him. My friends, what would ye of me? Paul asked. Not a word in reply. Presently, a man whose silvery locks showed his advancing age pressed forward and bowed down before Paul. Oh, sir, he began, we know you not, but your kindly demonstrations just now prove to us that you have faith and power equal to the prophets of old. Tell us, I pray you, who and what you are. Arise, my friend, never kneel to any living soul, never humble yourself in the dust, helping him to rise. I come among you for the purpose of doing good to them that will get on board God's glorious old bandwagon. If any man hear my voice, let him come in, and I will sup with him, and he with me, saith the Spirit. I say unto you, if any man hears my voice and seeks to learn the truth of God, I will make him ruler over sickness, yes, and sin and death. My friends, quit pining your faith to the doctor and man-made pills, and look to God for a remedy which is certain and sure. Your minister says there is nothing to do in the shadow of death, but await the pleasure of a doctor in his pill bags. But I say unto you that all things are possible with God, that besides him there is no other, and the gods of medicine and drugs are humbugs, and their prescriptions a myth and a lie. My venerable friend here says I am equal in faith and power to the prophets of old, and cries out, Who are you? I say unto you that in that great day, God will not inquire your name or from what kingdom you come, nor will he question you as to time or space. You are one with God. Like Ruth, let us join in the glad refrain, Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. When he had finished, the old gentleman gave him an old-fashioned camp-meeting handshake, and he was followed by the crowd. The American teacher started on towards the station, and he was followed by the people who would not let him get out of their sight until he reached the city. The hospitality of several homes was tender to him, but he could only accept of one, politely thanking the others, and he spent the night, the guest of a family, in the very heart of the city. The stranger and his wonderful cure were the chief topic of conversation throughout the city and country. Exaggerated reports were circulated, and by morning the entire city rang with the great teacher who appeared at the church and brought the dead to life. When Paul started down the street the following morning, he was recognized by someone, and the news quickly spread, and the people thronged and surged after him. Queen Angelina, being informed of his works of the day before, he was cited to appear before her. But he refused the summons and went his way. Catching a car at the next corner, he disappeared from the multitude and went in a roundabout way to Queen Olivet. 
He had but entered when her father came in, bringing news of the wrath, wrath of the queen, because Paul ignored her summons. Trouble was imminent, he told Paul. Forewarned is forearmed, spoke Paul. But I do not fear trouble. It is she who is blind, she who hovers over the volcano. I will bring her out right, though. I know her already. She needs some good advice, and I will see that she gets it. During the night and in the silence, Paul decided upon a definite plan of action, and when he appeared in public again, he was not surprised upon being told that the queen's guards were looking for him, and he purposely walked in the direction of the palace. I arrest you in the name of the queen, said a guard, taking hold of his arm. Paul was crossing the avenue, trying to avoid the crowd when this pleasant salutation met him. The incident was heralded, broadcast, and in a few minutes it seemed as if the whole city was in the avenue surrounding them. "'What law have I violated to cause my arrest?' asked Paul. "'That is for the queen to determine,' said the guard. "'I but do her bidding.' "'Who is the queen?' "'Queen Angelina, the ruler of this kingdom,' he replied. "'Queen usurper!' yelled Paul so that all the dense crowd could hear. "'Queen Olivette is queen, and the only sovereign I will obey!' Return to your queen with my answer. Queen Olivet is dead, sir, and I will not go without you. End of chapter 21. Recording by Astronomy.